and I read it and I I don't throw books often but I do kind of slam them down and this one was a slammer I was so angry that I ranted about it to essentially anyone that was in my vicinity um, and that book is Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Welcome to another edition of Keep It Fictional. Uh, we are here from the Port Moody Public Library. I'm Fiona, and today we are going to be talking about our picks for the forthcoming readathon. So, at Port Moody Public Library, we celebrate the wonderful, wonderful month of Booktober Fest. This year, to start that off, we are going to be doing a 72-hour readathon in which we pledge to read at least 12 hours out of those three days. Virginia has made us this amazing tracker. Uh, you can get it online by going to the event page, or you can come in and get a copy at the info desk. So this is a way to track your reads. Each hour that you read, you color it in until your delicious cup is completely filled with your wonderful reading hours. So I am joined today by Virginia. Hello. Sadie. Hello. Karine. Hey. And Liz. Hello. And we are going to be talking about our planned reading for the readathon. So I know it's all, uh, it's important to us that there's some flexibility in that. You know, if something really ends up not being a winner, we, we don't wanna endorse it, but these are uh, things that we are excited to read. Um, so I think we're all gonna pick three or four and talk about them. Virginia, you have one that you wanna talk about? Sure do. So I think the first book I am going to try to read this readathon, which is super exciting, is called The City and the City by China Miavel. Many, many moons ago, I read his kids slash teen book called Unlondon. And um, it was such a refreshing read from what was trending at that point in, in teen fiction and in kids fiction. And it was so creative, so original. And I love all the things that are in there. And it was just so different that it was mesmerizing. And, and from then on, I have tried to read his adult books. But I fell in almost all of them because there was never something like it was his books are very weird his books are very abstract and and just there was just nothing for me to hang on to that can pull me through the whole story so I kind of gave up on most of them um sadly but but I think this is going to be the one because this is written um in 2009 so a little bit older but I think also before he got too weird I guess <laughs> um so hopefully this will this will pan out and just like many of his books has really great premises so this one is about two cities that from what I understand they both coexist in the same physical space so nothing magical in this one it's just they both are in the same physical space say if you belong to one city and your house is in that city 
there might be a house right next to you, but that's not in the same city. So that's in another city. And when that's the case, you are supposed to ignore it. You're supposed to just like not even acknowledge that that exists because you're not supposed to be able to see it. It's in another city. So there's some weird guidelines and weird rules that for the people who live in these two cities that they abide by, you know, or else bad things going to happen, give you so much a glance at that other house and and see it basically and in this weird setup is um the book begins with a murder the two detectives one from each city has to work together to figure out what happened to the woman and in doing so they're going to uncover a lot of secret plans from people who want to put the two cities together and also people who would like to destroy the other one and be the only city in there um so We'll see. I am uh, hoping that this is going to turn out to be the the China Mivel book that I can actually finish. And Los Angeles Times called this book a give Philip K. Dick and Raymond Chandler has a love child and is raised by Franz Kafka. So that sounds like my kind of thing. So I'm really excited. It's more a police procedural and more mystery, but with a little, I'm sure there's a little bit of fantastical elements in it. It's the winner of the Arthur C. Clarke Award and also a finalist for the Nebula Award. So again, promising. So We'll see how that goes, and I will let everybody know. Thank you for that bizarre image of co-parenting that I now have in my head. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Sadie, what do you have for us? So the first book that I am planning on reading is called A Wish in the Dark, and uh, it is by Christina Soontornvat. And the thing that first drew me to this book is it is described as a retelling or inspired by Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, uh, which is one of my favorite musicals. And I I am very interested in the story of Les Miserables. Um, I have not finished the book of Les Miserables, but maybe this will be a good good place to get me back into reading uh, that book again. Um, So this story revolves around Pong, and Pong was born inside a prison. He was born in the Nam Wan prison. And whenever he looks out his window, he sees these lights. And the lights in the city represent freedom for him. Uh, they kind of, they're magical to him because they're part of this world that he has never been a part of. And then Pong escapes from prison. And once he's out of prison, he starts to realize that the magic of the lights and the magic of this city that he did not get a chance to experience is not actually as magical as he thought it was. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of kind of discrepancy between what the wealthy people get and what the poor people get. And Pong starts to realize and kind of learn what exactly um, the city is is made of and what what he is going to now experience by living on the outside. Um, He is also tattooed with a prison tattoo, which makes it very difficult for him to ever really escape from the prison. Uh, The other side of this story is Nock, and Nock is the prison warden's daughter, and uh, she is perfect. She represents um, this strong kind of prison, this strong system that she has always believed in, And when Pong escapes from prison, she decides that she is going to track him down and bring him back. Um, So she goes out into the city as well and starts to hunt him and track him down through the alleys and through the city and the canals of um, the city of Chitana, where um, where this prison is. 
And she also starts to realize that the world that she understood and the world that she knew uh, coming from the side inspired by the prison and her father, who is um, the prison warden and everything that she has been taught up to this point might not actually be the truth of what the world actually is. Um, so I'm very curious to see what happens. As I said, I'm very curious to see how how they use kind of the story of Les Mis. I can see it already just in the description, but I'm very interested to see what happens and kind of see a different take on it. Um, it is set in a uh, fantasy world, but it is a Thai-inspired fantasy world, um, which I am also very curious to see uh, kind of the world that this author creates. So A Wish in the Dark by Christina Soontorn Bat. It's really good, Sadie. It's <laughs> okay, good I'm excited. I know, I know nothing about Les Miserables, so it doesn't really mean anything to me. So I'm sure you would get more, way more out of it, but mm -hmm. good. Nice. I'm very excited. Kareen, do you want to do the next one? Sure. Um, so my book that I am going to be reading this weekend is kind of inspired by today, which is September 30th, which is Orange Shirt Day, which honors the uh, lives of First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people that went to residential school and came back and those who didn't. So the book that I am going to be reading this weekend is Highway of Tears, a true story of racism, indifference, and the pursuit of justice for missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. So this is a BC story. It takes place kind of in northern BC along Highway 16. And it talks about how for decades, women and girls uh, went missing along this, this stretch of road. And for decades, essentially, nothing happened. The author, who's uh, Jessica McDermott, is not an uh, Indigenous person. She is a journalist. And in this book, she interviews and talks to um, family and relations of people that of women and children that have gone missing in this particular area, and then also highlights their fight for justice, as well as kind of examining the, the systemic racism entrenched in um, this area, in BC, and then also in a larger Canadian context. So as of the writing, there are estimated 4,000 4,000 um, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. So this this story tells a, a very like local impact on it. And um, I'm really looking to learn more of this. And um, yeah, I think it'll, it'll be a, a really, really good read for everyone who's kind of interested in learning more about this particular issue. So that is Highway of Tears by Jessica McDermott. Thanks for sharing that with us, Karine. And thank you for the reminder about uh, Orange Shirt Day. I appreciate that. Um, Liz, what have you got for us? So for when I picks for the readathon, I thought I'd throw it back to 1938 uh, with a good old classic by Daphne du Maurier called Rebecca. And this is one of the myriad of covers that have been uh, produced for this book. You can see this one was only 35 cents when it came out. What a deal. Um, but you can get a copy through your library for free. So beat that 35 cents. Um, anyhow, the reason why I'm kind of wanting to go back to read Rebecca um, is that there is a Netflix film coming out in October. Yes, I admit it. Hearing that a film is coming out is making me want to read the book, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I don't usually gravitate toward classics, 
but this one seems uh, to suit my reading taste, so I'm very hopeful for it. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, um, Rebecca is classified as a gothic novel or gothic horror or even romantic horror. Um, so that all, so far, so good. Sounds good to me. Um, now the premise of the story is a young woman uh, working as a lady's maid happens to meet a wealthy widower and they are charmed by each other. They end up in a whirlwind romance and very quickly he proposes marriage to her. Now, how amazing, a wonderful man in a higher station in life, professes his love for her. What could go wrong? Well, she decides to marry him and he takes her back to his sprawling country estate in the English countryside. And that's where things start to go wrong. This house has a lot of memories in it. And the wealthy widower, despite having found a beautiful young bride who he purportedly was enamored with, um, well, he, he's got some issues. He's haunted by the memory of his first wife. And the housekeeper of uh, this manor estate, she seems to not be able to let go of this wife either. And she doesn't um, miss any opportunity to remind the young bride uh, whose house it originally was. So I'm looking forward to a good spooky read, a little bit of romance, but a little bit of spookiness, a little bit of haunting perhaps, um, as we are heading into October or Oktoberfest. Great, I also am planning to read that before I watch the Netflix. The trailer looks super good. Yeah, it does. All-star cast, Army Hammer. All-star. Kristen Lily. Scott Thomas Lily. and Lily Jane. That's it. <laughs> um, so my book is also inspired by a forthcoming adaptation. Um, I have not read Eden Robinson's Son of a Trickster. And it is getting a miniseries uh, from CBC. So I really want to finish this this weekend before that comes out. I actually don't know a whole lot about this book other than that everyone loves it so much and I need to read it. All I know is uh, it is about a kind of stoner kid. He suddenly uh, starts to have the ability to talk to ravens, even when he is not stoned. And... I think it's set in the real world, uh, but there is a lot of mythology and magic. Um, it is, of course, BC author. Um, and I actually just watched um, an adaptation of her other book, uh, Monkey Beach. So it is set in Kitimat, um, and it was adapted to film, and it's playing uh, at VIF, uh, the Vancouver International Film Festival. So shout out for that. That is happening right now. So that is all I've experienced of Eden Robinson so far, but she seems to have a really uh, neat way of approaching stories in this sort of like cyclical storytelling. So I'm really, really excited for this one. And I think Virginia has got another pick for us. 
Okay, so this one is not um, hasn't been on my to be read list for that long, um, but I did get a hold from it yesterday from the library. So I figure, you know what, let's do this. It is Hispanic Heritage Month until October fifteen, I believe. Um, so I figure, you know, I'll, I'll kind of try to get into some of the the books by um, Latino um, authors. And so this one I've got is called Lobizona. I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation, and it is by um, Romina Garber. This one is an Argentinian folklore-inspired fantasy, and it is a book one of the series called Wolves of No World. I am cautiously optimistic because this is a teen paranormal romance thing, and me and romance paranormal thing don't really go together. Um, but I also know that um, a lot of new fa newer fantasy has really like taken some of the tropes, some of the um, some of the sort of usual setting, and, and take a familiar story and and really use it to to look at like social issues and gender roles. And I think this is sort of what I was told this book would be, and so I, I'm I'm excited about that. Um, so the story is about Manu, who is an undocumented immigrant in the states, living with her mother and her grandmother, and being in illegal immigrant she's not allowed to go out you know and she's just basically hiding all the time she can't go to school and she um her, her grandmother basically homeschool her and the families decide to escape to united states and hide there because her father was killed by the mafia in argentina however one day her mother was taken away by ice and her grandmother was severely injured she was sort of left alone and she, things got desperate and somehow she found out about this magical school um, for boys. They trained them to be lobisona, which is the word for werewolves. And for girls, they trained them to be witches, to be brujas. And she somehow find out that her family um, and all the secrets about her family is tied to this school and that she'll be able to find out who she really is um, by infiltrating the school and i believe it said also this book that will will sort of turn all the like magical school trope turn it upside down it talks about gender roles and all of that so i, I think this would be an interesting kind of fantasy um i always find that when you have different um fantasy inspired by different folklore it always kind of get me into like rabbit holes into learning about more about the mythology learning about all, all about the story so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that um so again this is lobisona by um romina garber that sounds very, very interesting. Good cover. So it sounds like my kind of book. It does. I think it will be. I think it will yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. You two are having a lot of crossover today. I feel like that doesn't always We happen. are. It's true. We do both like true. fantasy. So we but, do. We do. All right. Yeah. Uh, do you have another fantasy for us, Sadie? I, well, my second book is not actually a fantasy. So the second book that I am planning to read is Stamped. Uh, and this is by uh, Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. This is Stamped Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. Um, so this book says very clearly this is not a history book. Uh, this is about the here and now. Um, this is a uh, taken from Ibram X. Kendi's stamp from the beginning, which goes through uh, the history of racist ideas, mainly in uh, the United States, um, but I think that uh, that history and um, what is happening in the world today is uh, very useful to know and can be seen in many places that um, not just the United States. Um, so this goes through that history, um, kind of from the very beginning of um, racist ideas in America, 
and it, it hopefully will inspire hope for an anti-racist future. I'm looking forward to reading this book. I'm, I'm not sure what to expect from it. It's been on my to, to be read list for a very long time. Um, and I finally got the hold from the library. Um, so I'm, I'm expecting to be challenged. I'm expecting to learn something. Um, I'm expecting to know more about uh, the history and about the situation um, in the world in regards to racism. Um, and hopefully be able to take more steps in my own life uh, from this book uh, to become anti-racist. Um, so this is stamped by Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. Um, and I, again, this is a um, junior or YA interpretation of Ibram X. Kendi's um, adult book uh, stamp from the beginning. So I hope that I enjoy this and I'm looking forward to learning a lot. It's great. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward really, to it. Really good. Yeah. yeah. What is your next pick, Green? Well, my next book is also one, uh, like Sadie, that I've been waiting to read for a very, very long time. And that is because it came out in the UK and then has kind of like slowly made its way over to the North American market. Uh, I'm very excited. It's someone that I follow on Instagram and I think is uh, like, just amazingly talented uh, and is really going to shake up YA in a big way. And it's also in a format that I really enjoy. So I'm a huge novel in verse fan. I am the first to say that I don't particularly love poetry. It's, it's not my thing, but I love novels in verse. I think there's something so powerful about the format that really changes the way that you digest the story and kind of makes you think and gives you space to pause where a novel might not necessarily do that. So uh, this book is kind of like a beautiful Venn diagram of everything that I want. It's a book in prose. It comes from the UK. It's LGBTQ2. And it is, of course, the uh, Stonewall Book Award winner, The Black Flamingo by Dean Atta. So it is about Michael, who is our protagonist. He is a mixed race kid. He is both Greek, Cypriot, and Black. Uh, um, from a Jamaican descent, and he is also gay. However, with all of these kind of different identities, he never really feels enough of something. He never feels black enough, or Greek enough, or gay enough. And as he kind of gets older and starts discovering more about himself, he, uh, he kind of gets involved with the drag society, where he finally kind of feels himself and he develops the persona of the Black Flamingo. I expect this book to be honest and funny and like, let's be honest, I'm going to cry. I always cry. I always cry at everything. Um, I think it's going to be joyful. I think it's going to be just, just everything, 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 everything. I, I am so excited to have this book and I've been kind of saving it for a special time. And the readathon is that time. The readathon is the time to go through that to be read pile and just kind of pick out all those ones that you've been waiting for. And uh, I think now's the time. Now's the time for Dean. I'm so excited for that one. I can't wait to hear what you think. <laughs> well, when I bring it back to the library, I'm sure I'm sure your hold is next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Liz, what have you got next? Um, well, I'm going to change gears again. <laughs> and this is a book that uh, Virginia has recently read. And of course, we don't just talk about books during book chat. We talk about books pretty much every 
waking minute when we're not doing other work. So um, I thought I'd pick this one up and give it a try. This one is called Mother for Dinner. And it's a novel by Shalom Oslander. Now, that sounds pleasant, doesn't it? Mother for dinner. Having a nice, lovely family dinner. Well, let's rewind a little bit. So this is a story about cultural identity. It's a story about assimilation. The values that we carry over in our heritage and what values we decide to continue on with in our present day lives. Now, this is a story that revolves around a cannibal American family. Yes, you heard that right, cannibal American family. Now, you don't really hear much about them anymore because um, they don't really practice that uh, side of their heritage much anymore. It's kind of as they've been assimilated into American culture, um, those ways of cannibalism have been left behind. Um, however, when the 12 children of a family headed by a matriarch who is passing away, is told on her deathbed, her wish, quote, unquote, eat me. Well, they're kind of forced to confront that heritage. Now, of course, they want to do right by their mother. They want to honor her last wish, her dying wish. However, there's some complications. One of the kids in this 12 children family, he's gone kosher. Another one of the kids has gone vegan. And another one of the kids, he's just he's just kind of done with that. He's like, yeah, you know what? That's, that's not really my kind of thing. I don't really identify with that cultural heritage of uh, cannibalism. So from what I gather, this story is about how these 12 children um, confront um, their mother's dying witch and try and find a balance between the two as they re-examine what their cultural heritage is and what that means. The book that's an example of an interesting new trend, mini trend, pseudo trend, uh, in publishing the cannibalism books uh, of late. I'm just going to stop right there. I just love to think of somebody coming in partway through this talk. <laughs> How much a book for everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How much humor are you expecting in this book? Uh... Oh, oh, it's very Oh, well, very, very dark humor. Very, very dark humor. It's super funny. But it's also very surprising because of what the book ends up being about. A book that is about cannibalism, but also very, very much like Liz described about, you know, an immigrant experience, which I was not expecting. And just what, you know, what it does when you, like Liz said, like, you know, when you're, when what are you supposed to do and, 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 and figure out in your culture what are the things that you want to keep and what are the things that you should let go um and how how that works when you're living in a place when all your like when all the kids grow up in in the states and they they don't they're not even though they hear about all the culture stuff from their mother like you recognize that there's things that that may or may not you don't want to continue and then maybe there are things that you didn't know that you end up continuing that you didn't realize that you have it's 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 quite amazing. If you can get past the, the premise the, of the cannibalism thing, it is it is quite amazing. So, yeah. one of, I would say probably one of my like favorite book for the for the year. It is that good. I have another uh, dark book. So this might be a good segue. I'm planning to read Universal Harvester by John Darnielle. Okay, and I see Virginia is getting excited, and I have to ask, like I, I just kept thinking, does Virginia read John Darnielle? 
Does she love John Darnielle? Um, so he is of the Mountain Goats, if uh, anyone is wondering about that. So an indie American singer, songwriter. Oh, I feel like I'm butchering this, but um, very excellent musician uh, and deeply thinking person. So I love his writing, despite the fact that he often writes about things that I don't like. So um, I first read his writing in a novella and it was like fantastic. And I just thought like, I need to read more from this person. So I read uh, Wolf and White Van, which came before this one and loved it, but was like deeply disturbed uh, by it. So I keep taking this book out and then not reading it because I'm really afraid. is like the premise seems like innocent enough um it's the 90s and it is about um jeremy and he works in a uh movie store like sort of like a blockbuster style movie store uh and it is about like competing movie stores but what happens is customer comes in and and tries to return something um because she says there's something wrong with this video like it's working but there's just something wrong with it. Um, and this scene, this keeps happening. And they're like, you know, it's not, it's not broken. It's just, it's not the right movie. And so uh, what is happening is they, they you get to a certain point in the film and um, it is playing these weird, eerie, disturbing home videos. So like, I feel like that is going to be the tip of the iceberg. Um, the way John Darnielle writes is just like, it's, I don't know, it's bizarre. And like, I love that. I love not knowing what to expect. Um, but then it's also like, but do I want to go down that road? Like, will I be the same person when I'm done? Um, so yeah, if you like dark, twisty, but sort of, I don't know, like, like it's unique and, and uh, new what he writes uh definitely like highly recommend his books so hopefully i will be able to come out to the light of day after this one uh and i won't just be like rocking in a corner have you read it virginia yes and i think corinne has also read it i remember talking about it okay i've read wolf and white van oh you read this one no I don't think I've, I haven't read uh, universal harvester yet because i think i'm still like recovering <laughs> from wolf and white van Give it a couple um, of years it was a lot, but the writing, yeah, exactly. The writing, I'll put it on my list. The writing was amazing. Like, so good, but disturbing. Mm -hmm. Very disturbing. Um, so I think we've all gone around twice. So I think it's time for a question of existential dread. No. No. <laughs> I have got a good one for you. So what is a book that many other people love that you have not liked so much. It just didn't really work for you. It didn't It didn't live up to everyone else's hype uh, for your personal tastes. I think recently the one that kind of did this for me the most, that I read the reviews, I saw on the Goodreads, um, people that really enjoy the genre were like, this is a great book. And then I read it and I, I don't throw books often. But I do kind of slam them down. And this one was a slammer. I was so angry that I ranted about it to essentially anyone that was in my vicinity. Um, and that book is Eight Perfect Murders by Peter Swanson. On the surface, this is a book about someone who loves mystery novels and a serial killer who kills people in the way described in mystery books. Like, this has me written all over it. 
and I hated it. I hated it. I hated it, and I would say that to Peter Swanson's face. I'm, I'm curious, can you say why you hated it? Like, was there reasons, or was it just like a general sense of just not enjoying it? Um, without giving away too much of the plot, mm -hmm. it isn't mm -hmm. quite what it seems, and also the okay. author and narrator think that they are a lot more clever than they are. <laughs> Sadie, do you have one? I do. Um, so kind of similar to Kareen, I, I had had this one on my to-be-read list. It's kind of the genre that I really, really enjoy. Um, and I actually took it out right when we closed back in March, and I was really excited to read it. And it is The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. It took me a very long time to read. I did not like any of the characters in the book. I did not feel sympathy for any of the characters in the book, which I think you're supposed to at some point. Um, yeah, I just, it, it's about fairies. Uh, like the Fae takes place um, in the land of the Fae, which is generally my kind of story. It's fantasy, it's YA, um, but I just, I, I got through it, I did. I did get through it, um, but I I will not be reading the other books in the series. Um, maybe one day, but right now I am just ready to put them aside. Um, but yeah, it's got many five-star reviews on, uh, on Goodreads, and it just, yeah, I just did not like it. I couldn't do it. That's so frustrating when that happens. And then I always go like, just like search for those other people that are just yes. like, there's gotta be someone in here that feels the same way. Yeah, same exactly. <laughs> you can usually find them. <laughs> On Goodreads, there's, there is usually a pretty wide range of, uh, yeah, but. Uh, How would you list? I think the most recent book that I really just did not want to finish and just ended up flipping through, make sure I didn't miss anything was uh, Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. I'm not really sure what it was that I didn't really enjoy about it, whether it was the writing style or maybe I, I didn't really empathize. It's not that I didn't empathize with the women who were talked about in the book. Uh, I felt like I couldn't relate to them. Um, and maybe it's the cross-section of women that she wrote about the three women, maybe because it's because they were very like culturally, ethnically, like their, and their social backgrounds were similar to some degree. I didn't feel like there was a great variety in that. Um, and just sort of not being able to kind of connect um, with any of them in, in a really uh, meaningful way. So I'm sure from what I've read, other other women have connected with the book, other, other people who um, identify as, as being in the same situations. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have connected with the book. Um, just It just wasn't for me, so it, it was one I had to put down. Yeah, that's frustrating when the point is sort of like, well, let's look at some different perspectives, like to consciously choose three narratives and then have like none of them connectable. Yeah. <laughs> Virginia? So when you ask this question, there's only one book that came to mind and I have to go back to Goodreads and just kind of like, because like, I've completely wiped this book out of my memory because I don't want anything to do with it. It is The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. Like I said, I wiped this book out of my memory. So I'm going to tell you, I think one of the good review that really resonated with me, they said, this is a book, it's like a beautiful wedding cake. Imagine the fanciest, prettiest, elegantly decorated wedding cake that there is. And then you just try to peel it back and you're like, where is the cake? And it's just fondant after fondant, which is 
gross. Fondant is disgusting. It might look pretty, but it's disgusting, right? And you just keep peeling it back and it's just made of fondant and they forgot the cake. <laughs> and this reviewer described the book and I was like, that is exactly how I feel. It is all just pretty words and like setting after setting and setting and there is just no story to hang on to and and everybody loves that book don't don't understand i haven't read it yet but it is on it's been on my list for a while same z's i i i probably i probably will because i know we don't always agree on all of our tastes mm-hmm. yeah. but uh but i'm yeah, yeah. i'm very curious yeah. when is the book is just all about like fancy words and pretty words mm-hmm. and stuff like that and there's no substance to it that doesn't work mm-hmm. for me i need no, and that i need the cake yeah that generally is me too so i will see we'll see <laughs> and yes fondant is the most disgusting it's horrible it's terrible <laughs> fiona how about you so my book is a margaret Atwood book <gasps> and i have to say i don't have a problem with margaret atwick in general i like uh like alias grace especially like excellent um other ones are like fine it's good uh but orcs and crake of the mad adam trilogy uh i had a similar reaction to Corrine's where like i so i was at a time where i was commuting on a ferry and Every day I would read it on the ferry, and every day I would have fantasies about throwing it into the ocean. <laughs> and it was a library book of where I was working and commuting to. Um, but it just like I just wanted to do it so badly just to like finish that, just to be like, it's gone, it's out of my life. I don't even have to look at it at work anymore. Um, <laughs> I felt like she really wanted to like shock people with it and like I find that a lot with, um, uh, like, post-apocalyptic books sometimes. Like, if it's not needy, if it's more like, wouldn't this be horrible? Um, it really bothers me. And there was, like, there's an aspect of it, like a, like a child pornography aspect of it. And I just felt like that was, like, it, we didn't need that. Like, it was really just there to, like, be like, I'm so edgy. Um, but it also didn't help that when I was a kid... My mom had a copy of Orcs and Crake, and it had cute little animals, or not like cute, but it had animals on the front, like um, an armadillo maybe. And so I imagined this whole thing in my head where Orcs and Crake were animals, like prehistoric animals. <laughs> One was an armadillo, and then I picked it up, and that was not what it was. So, you know, maybe maybe that didn't help. <laughs> uh, Margaret Atwood fan fiction <laughs> in the works, maybe? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now that we've all aired our grievances, I'm sure we can expect lots of email. Um, so let's get ready for that. <laughs> I stand by it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we have at least one more pick each uh, for our readathon. So, Virginia, do you have another one? I do. Another many, but I will stick with one. <laughs> Um, so every readathon needs a science fiction comedy, and I got mine here. It is Space Opera by Catherine M. Valente. Um, this is billed as Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy meets Eurovision. Basically, what happens is that like there's a war going on, and there was like all the species in the universe were involved, and now the war is over. And every year, instead of fighting, 
all the civilizations they gather together for the meta galactic grand prix to compete in song and dance with whatever you have or not have, whereas arms or feet or mouth or faces or whatever. And according to them, singing is the best way to prove that your species is sentient. So if you are competing in this Grand Prix every year and give you rank at the bottom and you lost the competition, you know, you don't have to win it, but you just don't have to rank in the bottom. Give you rank at the bottom, that proves that your species is not worthy to live and they will just annihilate your species. So high stakes here in this Eurovision kind of competition. And this year we have a new competitor, humans, because the species around in the universe has discovered that on Earth there is this species here called humans, which they have not made contact with. So they made first contact with us and they have explained about this singing and dancing competition. And they told us that here is a list of performers that we would like to you to consider entering into this competition. And humans look at the list and they're like, but they are all dead now because of course, intergalactic communication a little behind. So they're looking at this and the only ones that are still alive is a wash up glam rock band named Decibel Jones and Absolute Zeros. So the fate of humankind is going to rest in the hands of this wash up glam rock band. And that is uh, all I know about this book. I am looking forward to it. Um, I think funny sci-fi, most of the time I feel like you have to be in the mood for. And I, I think this this readathon will be one that I, I need one of these just funny, snarky, hilarious um, science fiction. So Space Opera by Catherine M. Valente. That sounds so great. Um, and after taking your recommendation to read Quality Land, uh, which was kind of like a satirical um, sci-fi, I think that I might put that one on my list as well. All right, Sadie, what, what, what pick do you have? All right. So I do have a final fantasy book uh, that I am going to be reading this weekend, and that is Soul of the Sword by Julie Kagawa. And this is actually the second book of a series. I read um, Shadow of the Fox, which is the first book back in ooh, April, maybe. Um, and I talked about it on one of our book chats a bit earlier in our Spaceopoly uh, summer. And I am very, very excited to read this second one. Uh, so without giving too, too much away uh, for the first book, if you have not read the first one yet, um, I will tell you a little bit about this one. Uh, so 1,000 years ago, a wish was made to the harbinger of change, and the sword of rage and lightning was forged. This sword's name is Kami Goroshi, and it translates to the God Slayer. Uh, it had one task, was to seal away a powerful demon named Hakaimono. And uh, this demon lives inside of this sword, and somebody has control over the sword but they have to be very very careful because at any time the demon could take over so anytime they use the sword uh there's a potential that the demon will leave this sword and take over um, their bodies now there's also the character of yumeko and yumeko is a shapeshifter she's a kitsune which means that she is part fox and she is seen as a trickster 
And at the beginning of our first book in the series, the temple that she has been raised at is attacked by demons and everybody that she knows in her life has been killed. Before her mentor is, is killed, he tasks her to bring a piece of this scroll. He gives her a piece of a scroll and says that she has to bring it to another temple. And uh, the very fate of the world depends on this. Uh, so Yumeko leaves her temple and goes off in search of this other uh, temple to bring this scroll to. On the way, uh, she meets up with Cage Tatsumi, who is of the Shadow Clan, and he is the current person who is in charge of the sword, Kamigoroshi. Uh, so it's the story of the two of them. Uh, neither of them is being completely honest with one another. Uh, they are both technically working towards the same goal, uh, but neither of them really knows what the end goal for either either person is. Um, and it's their journey to deliver this scroll uh, to this other temple. So I'm very excited to see how the story continues in this one. Um, the first book definitely left it on a cliffhanger. So it, it was uh, a big shock how the, uh, the first one ended. Um, so I'm very excited to see how the story picks up. And I believe there's a third book in the series. So I imagine that it will probably be a similar ending uh, where I will need to rush out and get the third one as well. So we'll see, maybe there will be an impromptu trip to the library to pick up book number three this weekend as well. Uh, so that is Soul of the Sword by Julie Kagawa. And again, the first book is Shadow of the Fox. So if that sounds like something up your alley, uh, I would give the first one a try as well. All right, Green, what is your next pick? All right, for my very last pick, I'm returning like back to basics, back to like the fundamentals of who Corrine is as a reader. And so I am choosing a like classic mystery with a little bit of a twist. So the book that I am choosing is actually a book that I have purchased and never read. So inspired by our talks, I'm actually trying to tackle that whole thing. Um, so the book that I am going to read is The Hanjin Murders by Seishi Yokomizo. And uh, Yokomizo is actually considered... Um, to make like an analogy, like the Agatha Christie of Japan. So uh, he started writing in the 20s. Um, this was the first book featuring a very famous detective that has a, a subsequent series afterwards that won the ninth. Uh, 1948 Mystery Writers of Japan Award. And so this is kind of like the first book in that series. And I love kind of like golden age mystery novels. And this one sounds amazing. It takes place in 1937 in the village of Okamura. And everyone is very excited for this big wedding that is about to happen. So they're all getting prepared. The family is gathering. There's a, this kind of electric buzz in the air. Except that there's kind of like this dark rumor circulating through the village that some people have spotted a strange masked man who's been asking questions kind of along the edges of the village. And, of course, on the night of the wedding, there is a horrible scream that goes out from the household that is followed by the sound of eerie music. So love a murder that comes with its own soundtrack. There's no trace of the murderer except for a bloody samurai sword thrust into the pristine snow outside of the house. 
dun, dun, dun. And we get an amateur detective in their very, very first appearance who's a little bit scruffy, um, a little bit of an outsider who's going to solve this impossible crime for us. So I feel like this is going to be 100% up my alley. Um, this is the first time that this book has been translated into English. Um, so Pushkin Vertigo is doing a really good job of bringing like classic mystery novels from different countries into English. So it's a work in translation and I am super looking forward to it. Just like, look at that cover. Look at that cover. Drink it in. Drink it in. Sounds good. That does sound good. pretty excellent. I'm ready. I'm so ready. And I think I might have purchased the second one, but I can't tell in the stack of books that I bought. So. <laughs> All right, Liz, you're up. Okay, well, after Gothic horror and uh, a little bit of cannibal Americanism, cannibalism in America, Americana, uh, I thought I'd switch things up and have some light and fun and maybe slightly frivolous YA fiction. So this one is called Shine, and it is the first novel by Jessica Jung. So uh, if any of you out there are K-pop fans, then the name might be familiar to you. Jessica Jung uh, was part of one of the first really huge um, K-pop girls groups that we've heard about on this side of the ocean um, called Girls' Generation. And she's since uh, spun off her career to uh, do fashion and, and all kinds of um, fun, glamorous things uh, in Korea. So. Um, She's taken her background to write this story about a Korean-American girl named Rachel. Now, Rachel is 17 years old, um, but six years ago, she was recruited by a K-pop conglomerate to enter into their finishing school, so to speak. So in this school, um, they get a bunch of teenagers and train them to be singers to be dancers, how to act in the public eye, all the stuff uh, that would make you potentially a star. So now that she's 17, and I guess sort of coming of age within this um, untraditional school system, she really feels the pressure to conform to an industry that is very much based on um, public perception of celebrities um, who are expected to be perfect, perfect in their looks, and perfect in their actions. And of course, as a potential K-pop idol, um, you know, she must look presentable at all times, act with comportment, be perfect in her singing and dancing, and certainly no dating. Now, she feels like nobody really understands what she's going through, all this pressure to um, potentially make it in the system after all this time and all this commitment and hard work, um, until she meets it's Jason. He's already an established K-pop star. And well, not only does he lend an ear to her and is able to relate to her struggles in the K-pop world, but also there may be some romantic feelings involved, of course. So looking forward to this one, um, something a little bit lighter, something a little bit different, um, and hopefully a great first novel that shine by Jessica Jung. Wow. That's so neat to have like an actual insider perspective to write that book. I hope it's full of gossip, 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 gossip. <laughs> All right. Um, I have my third pick. I am going to try to read The War That Saved My Life. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things about this book and like 
everybody being like, just sit down and read it right now. Just read it right now. And yet I still haven't. Um, so I am going to fix that this weekend. So it's set in wartime London. Um, and it is about a little girl, Ada. Um, and she, uh, I believe she has a clubbed foot. Um, and for that reason, her mother uh, likes to keep her inside where no one can see her. Uh, the kids sort of like know about her and like talk about her, but she doesn't get to come out and socialize. When her brother Jamie is sent away on a train to keep him safe, uh, she follows. And I, I get the feeling it's sort of about this like new found, you know, freedom and, and personhood uh, that has been sort of uh, restricted throughout her whole life. It's supposed to be sad and touching and beautiful. Part of it is about her sort of like, there's a, a woman who takes care of them. Um, when they leave their home, uh, which is appealing to me to sort of have this uh, adoptive parent relationship. And uh, I think it's very much about the personal growth of Ada. So uh, I like I like a good historical fiction. Um, and as I say, like just people who I, who, um, I really respect their reading taste have said, I have to read this. So really really looking forward to that one and i think it is um has a sequel so hopefully i'll like it and then maybe i can move on to the next one i love that book so much so much it's a beautiful beautiful book you're gonna cry though so uh just it has a heads up good that's good i like to have a good book cry especially i feel like doing this readathon is the perfect time for a book cry <laughs> <laughs> that nest that i've been building <laughs> So that's part of your prep is to make sure that you have mm -hmm. adequate Kleenex around, some water nearby so you can rehydrate. Exactly. Nasal yeah. spray, like all that stuff. <laughs> so that is all we have time for today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us as we talk about our upcoming readathon. I hope you grab your tracker um, and join us. Uh, see if you can do 12 hours between Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And don't forget to join the Facebook group where we will be giving away daily prizes and doing all sorts of fun interactive activities. Anybody have anything to add? Read on, everyone. I, I hear it's supposed to be smoky this weekend, so it's the perfect excuse to stay inside mm -hmm. and read. Silver lining. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, everyone. Enjoy your week. Happy reading. Bye. Happy reading. Happy reading. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm -hmm.